0: Welcome to this episode of Kia's Beyond the Build podcast. Today we'll be discussing a really important subject, psychological well-being in construction. I'll be joined by my guests Ros Barrows, the Group Head of Health, Safety and Well-being for Kia, John Davis, the CEO of the Australian Constructors Association and Bill Hill, the CEO of the Lighthouse Club, the construction industry charity. This, this is a incredibly important and and serious topic isn't it and you know I was reading some statistics in terms of the UK construction sector which are just absolutely staggering. The construction sector in the UK um, has the highest suicide statistics with two workers taking their own life every day and over 20% of work-related absence caused by stress, anxiety or depression. I mean just to see that and hear that is it's, it's really difficult to comprehend John, when you you hear that, what's what's your reaction? What does it make you think and and feel about our sector?
1: Yeah, it's not good, uh, is it, Louise? And uh, unfortunately, this isn't a thing that's just limited to the UK. Uh, The statistics that we have here in Australia are uh, depressingly similar. Here we talk about the fact you're six times more likely to die from suicide in the construction industry in Australia than you are from a workplace incident. And also, you're twice as likely in the construction industry to take your own life than any other industry in Australia.
0: It's a global issue then that's affecting the, the construction industry worldwide rather than just just limited to the UK. Ross, obviously the stats suggest that people in the construction are more affected by psychological ill health. Why do you think that is? What is it about construction that's that's perhaps contributing to that? I think it's generally one,
2: there isn't the focus, right? If you think about the efforts and energy we put into the safety side of health and safety, yet there's no parity between the health side. Also, there's loneliness in that sector. Generally, you're working away from home. You don't have your usual mechanisms for support. So you might not be near your family or your friends. You might not have your gym or your choir or your church. If we think about the parallel of how we all felt during lockdown for COVID, that's the daily feeling for some of these workers that, that they just don't have those people near them that they need or the
0: people that they trust that they can talk to. And and John, you're, you're nodding, do you feel, it's, is it similar in Australia in terms of the, the causes, do you think, or is it, is it
1: different? Yeah, look, absolutely. It, it's very similar. We we have a, a lot of sort of what we call uh, here fly in, fly out. It's bigger distances, so it's it's not driving at sight and staying at sight. It's flying great distances and staying in camps. I think the other sort of issues that we have as an industry, and I, th- I think this is not just limited to, to Australia, this is probably a global issue again, is that it, it's a high-risk industry. We're always focused on, on risks, and, and that carries a great deal of stress when you're trying to look at and being conscious of those risks. And I think the probably the other big thing is here, But unfortunately, and this is where I think our statistics align very well again, is that we're a very male-dominated industry here in Australia. It's only 12% of our workforce are women. And unfortunately, without trying to stereotype too much, men, uh, generally speaking, aren't great communicators. And also, they struggle with showing empathy with, with others that are going through difficult times. So you throw all of that together and it's probably no great surprise that we have the issues that we do in our industry.
0: I mean, it's, it's interesting you say that, isn't it? Because actually, yeah, I'm sure we've all heard that assumption, if you like, about about men not being great communicators and, and being less comfortable with talking about, say, how they're feeling and, and mental health and so on. But actually, when you look at it in terms of construction, it's it sort of plays out in, in cold, hard facts, isn't it? That this is this is how it's um, manifesting in reality. Is that changing? Is that getting any better? Or is, is that one of the huge challenges when it comes to addressing this issue in construction that's difficult to, to overcome? Roz, what do you think?
2: So, yes, it's changing because we're realising that breaking down stigmas is the first and most vital part of improving psychological ill health and well being. We're getting people to share their stories, which is making other people think, well, that's how I think and feel. So I'm not on my own there are other people going through this that I can talk to. and But if we look at the the partnership care now has with the Lighthouse Club, that's absolutely a well-being measure that's been needed to be taken for a long time because we've focused on office workers and reducing stress, depression and anxiety there.
0: John, that brings me on to the the work that you've been doing um, in Australia. So you've you've led on the the culture standard. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and how it's addressing these issues in Australia?
1: Yeah, sure. I think there's a few issues here. One is that um, we have done a lot of sort of addressing the symptoms and, uh, and works around, I suppose, uh, first aid for mental health related issues. But we haven't done historically particularly well at addressing the root causes here that we sort of talked about before. And what the culture standard aims to do is really address some of those key issues Uh, Root causes, and as the name suggests, it's sort of bundled up around the idea that we really need to improve the the whole culture of the industry. The culture standard also, importantly, is a top down approach to doing that. This culture standard came out of an initiative called the Construction Industry Leadership Forum here in Australia, which is industry getting together with a number of different states. In Australia, it's not the federal government that delivers infrastructure, it's the state governments. So this body came together and identified there were three key things for a more sustainable industry. One was all about capability and capacity. One was about um, commercial frameworks, improving commercial frameworks. And the final part was the culture piece, improving the culture of the industry. And they set up the Construction Industry Culture Task Force. Same people, same members but crucially they brought in some academics that, that had a bit of uh, specialist knowledge in this area. They developed the culture standard, and this has got, again, three key pillars to it, which is about focusing on time for life and, and worker flexibility, looking at wellness, employee wellness, of so physical health and mental health. And then the final component of that is the diversity and inclusion piece. If we can get more women into our industry, then the culture of the industry, I think everyone agrees, will be a lot better. But that's a bit of a chicken and egg situation because the main thing that's stopping women coming into our industry is the poor culture that we have. So the culture standard aims to identify key deliverables under all of those three headings that will ultimately form part of procurement. So when a government delivery agency goes to market, as per, there will be a requirement in there that the contractor, the successful contractor, will need to comply with the culture standard. So it will need, for example, to provide flexible working opportunities, look to potentially cap the hours that are worked, will look at health and well-being, wellness initiatives, and also look to address things like gender pay gaps within their organisations, but also look to put in diversity and inclusion plans.
0: So it's some really great ambitions there. How is it playing out in in reality? Are there some areas which you find you've seen more success than others? Have you seen where it's making a difference in in any particular area? Well,
1: look, it's early days, Louise, to be quite frank. What we've done now is we've started with five trial projects in New South Wales and Victoria that look at a range of different opportunities and, and look at different projects as well. But we're making progress and the the feedback is really, really positive. But as part of this academic research, we've also got a bunch of economists involved to look at and track productivity on those projects. And again, surprise, surprise, the early feedback that we're getting here is that it doesn't take any longer to do the projects. It doesn't cost any more money because our people are more productive.
0: Well, we're seeing... Anything on the same scale in in the UK? Are we starting to think in that way in the UK about what we can do at a, a sort of macro level to address this? Similar but different focuses for the UK where where I think we would see
2: greater movement forward are where we focus on those causes of psychological ill health outside of the project and support individuals there. John talked that generally this is a male-dominated environment and Boys don't talk. So we need to get to the root of what's causing, first of all, the anxiety, the stress, the depression that then leads to suicidal thoughts and then ultimately death by suicide. And, and if we focus on that, we've, we've got prevention rather than intervention.
0: John, in terms of Australia and and, and the priorities, in terms of, say, what, what, we, what you might measure and, and what gets looked at statistically, do you see that the bodily, physiological safety has more of a focus than, than say, mental health and, and wellness.
1: 100%. But one thing that was quite sort of groundbreaking in terms of the culture standard and setting the culture standard up or demonstrating the need for the culture standard or the business case, I suppose, for the culture standard was a piece of academic research that was undertaken here that identified that tried to cost how much this problem was costing industry and, and the broader economy. And it was undertaken by a reputable group of ec- economists. And it identified that, that every single year, this issue of poor mental health and suicides is costing the industry and the economy $8 billion a year. So, roughly speaking, £4 billion a year. And that is an attempt to start to measure the impact of this, obviously, from a dollar and cents perspective. But unfortunately, you know, a lot of the time that's that's what gets the the, the attention and it's certainly got the attention here in terms of Providing the business case why we need to do something about this.
0: That's so interesting, isn't it? Because look, we, we need to address this because it's it's the right thing to do, just on a human level. But actually if you consider the, the importance of the construction industry to the GDP of, of both the Australian and the UK economies, and so therefore the impacts that, that, that this that these terrible statistics around suicide and, and mental health are having, then you know, there's a real, really strong business case for, for, for taking action. And in Australia, through the culture standard it sounds like certainly at, at an industry level, that sort of really strategic level, you're, you're coming together to do that. But Ros, have, have we gotten hold of this issue in the same way in, in the UK? Do we need to learn lessons from Australia? or are we Where are we on that sort of curve? Yeah, if we talk about stats that we're using in the UK,
2: so looking at data to show you the impact or effect of psychological ill health, we absolutely have loads of data from all of the services that both industry and and, and care specifically for us use, so our, our BUPA, PMI, our EAP stats, there's loads of data there that will tell you what your emerging risks are. I think the problem that we have in industry is we're asked to report on, or it's expected that we will report on those safety stats, so the number of riddle reportable in the UK incidents, There's no need to report on psychological stats, so we don't delve. If we're more creative with that data and and delve into it to find what we have, then we can concentrate on those causes and go back to that idea of prevention. I love the term greenwashing for when a company does the the least that they have to do environmentally, but it looks good, right? Um, And I've used that to coin the wellbeing washing. So you'll see a lot of companies and organisations doing well-being washing. So we'll do the, the fruit and yoga approach to well-being rather
0: than actually understanding what your risks are with employee well-being. So in, in terms of that, that focus and, and that identification then, are we at a point where we know what we should be focusing on proactively so, we, so it's less about the reactive?
2: I think we're at a point of knowing what we need to look for and what we need to look at and, and now we need to focus in on finding those causes and then introducing
0: um, services that will help support, like the Lighthouse Club. We touched on this at, at the start, John. I, th- I think you, you touched on this at the start. We know that our sector can, can be physically demanding. Is there anything that we need to do at the, de- start, the design and, and contract phase to mitigate the impact of that, which can obviously then have a, an impact on well-being?
1: Absolutely, there is. Whether it's going to happen or not is doubtful because it's all about taking the politics out of infrastructure. Really, at the end of the day, why do we have these unrealistic deadlines that we're all working to and these unrealistic budgets that, that come up? And it's because of people rushing out before we've worked through, properly worked through the job, worked out how, it, how much it's going to really cost and how long it's going to really take. And then all of a sudden, everyone's under the pump from day one trying to make these unrealistic cost and time outcomes. And now it is, I think, in a lot of cases as simple as that. But I think the other thing, and you've touched upon this before, Louise, actually. I did a post on LinkedIn about this just the other day, about how you look at our industry and compare it to other industry. Our industry is a highly complex, highly skilled industry. We solve these, these, these complex problems every day. And yet we, we get a very, very small return on the capital that we put into that. But if we can see ultimately this change in approach with construction, because it's impacting on our ability to invest in thing, important things like the health and well-being of our workforce, the training and the skills of our workforce, the productivity of our industry, innovation in our industry. If we want to see change in all of those areas, unfortunately, I think we need to really look at how our industry operates in all aspects of our industry.
0: So, Roz, at our Hinkley Point C site, that's, that's a, obviously a really large site in a rural area with very little infrastructure around it. But actually, we've, we've built lots of facilities to support well-being and wellness into the site. So, you know, I think there are uh, nurses, physio, we've got a sort of men's health. Women's health, all all sorts of different sort of well-being services available on on this site. I guess to account for the fact that it is sort of quite an isolated site, is it difficult to replicate that kind of focus on, say, a smaller site or a more urban site? Does it have to be one of these big sort of out of town sites to be able to do that?
2: It does need to be a large construction project or infrastructure project to achieve it on site. But the principles behind that are absolutely possible to to replicate on any project because in a non-rural location, so let's look at some of our London projects, there are loads of opportunities to have those offerings but they don't necessarily need to be part of the site. So at tender phase think about having partnerships with a local gym so that there's free access that the company pays for or a local physio or
0: a local counselling service that, that people can become affiliated with. It's been a really, really interesting conversation today on what is a is an incredibly important topic. Just like to ask you both, if, if there was one sort of really key message, and I know it's it's difficult on, on such an important topic, but if there was one really key message that you wanted to leave our listeners with off the back of the conversation we've had today, what, what would it be? John, can I ask you first?
1: I think the one key message here is there's no IP when it comes to safety and there shouldn't be any IP when it comes to mental health. This is an industry-wide issue. It's all about sharing what's working well, where we can do things better, which is why I was very keen to be part of this conversation in particular. We need to share that information. We need to get better.
2: And the same to you, Roz. This is really for well-being strategists out there rather than the the common man or woman. But when I first started on my wellbeing career. And one of my team who became an awesome mentor to me said, if someone were in front of you having a heart attack, you would call for an ambulance. If we keep telling people to direct and signpost towards EAP when someone in front of you is in psychological crisis, then we will never move forward in the industry.
0: Continuing our conversation now on mental health and well-being in the construction industry, and I'm really pleased to be joined today by Bill Hill. And Bill, you're the chief executive of the Lighthouse Club. Thanks very much for joining us.
3: Oh, it's an absolute pleasure, Louise.
0: Before we sort of talk about the subjects, can you give us a little bit of background on yourself and how you've you've sort of gone from working in huge blue chip organizations to the charity sector and, and more specifically um mental health in construction?
3: All through my corporate career, I've always raise money for charity um, no matter what I've been doing I've always had uh, something I always wanted to give back um, it was really work for me I've always put my body on the line doing marathons up and down mountains doing absolutely stupid things to, to give back to charity and I was a rugby player as a young man. And so I'd always been supporting a charity called The Wooden Spoon, which is a children's charity of rugby. And then I got myself in a position towards my, uh, in my career with technology that the company I was with got bought by a big American outfit. And it just happened that the role of the CEO of The Wooden Spoon came up at the exact same time, which I grabbed it with both hands. And I really enjoyed the sector as well, because it was all about you know doing projects for young kids and um, giving them some some fantastic uh, projects and places to, to play and work and it was great fun and then the role with the lighthouse construction industry charity came up and i was born and brought up in a lighthouse off the west coast of scotland my dad was a lighthouse keeper <laughs> so i just thought well i've got to go for this and i thought genuinely it was about building lighthouses i thought lighthouse construction I didn't know they were building lighthouses anymore but I went along to the interview with my dad's lighthouse cufflinks on and um, I got the job I think on the basis of the cufflinks to be fair and uh, here I am and what I found was the background of construction workers and, and rugby players were very similar in the sense of their psyche about being indestructible and you know just having that sort of feeling of just you can't penetrate me, which was very interesting. The psyches are very, very, very similar, so it was quite easy to segue from the background of what we we're doing with the previous charity.
0: Well, we spoke to, to John Davis from the Australian Constructors Association, and you know, we spoke about was well, the absolutely staggering statistics about the UK construction industry. How does the Lighthouse Club aiming to help address this really um, important issue? It's a
3: massive thing, and it, and it really only came to to the fore in 2017, when we had the Stevenson Farmer report uh, came out and it said, there is a lot of ill health, mental ill health within the industry. And the industry started saying, well, what the heck do we, we do about this? And and it was getting then the research behind that to see well what, what kind of kind of problem have we got. But our, our mission statement or our vision in, in the charity is that no construction worker or their family should be alone in a crisis. That's that's our vision. So so what we're trying to do as a charity is to to give a whole surround sound of opportunities for anybody in the industry to be able to access support services to to get the help and support they need. But we've got some big barriers to overcome in being able to achieve that mission. I think we have got all the services we can possibly have now i think they are really good and they're very solid and they can take volume but the big problem we've got in the industry is is twofold one is is overcoming the stigma and 87% of the population in construction are men and we are not very good about talking about our mental wellbeing and and opening up and and the second thing is is awareness because you know, if people aren't aware of where to go to get to help, then how the heck can we help them? So those are the two major things that, that we've got to overcome to, 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 to make the breakthroughs that we need. And then secondary to that, 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 that might stop or, or help alleviate today's problem. But what we also need to do is to go further back and say, well how do how do we raise the game here? How do we how do we look proactively about how do we change the culture within our industry? As well, and you know when I, when John was over as well, we had a really good conversation because I think they're making some really good breakthroughs down under in, in the culture change piece, and we've got to unite as an industry across the whole piece here, and, and also we've got to raise it just above mental ill health as well, because it's only part of the your overall well being is your mental health because it's your physical health and your financial health and your environment you work in as well. So, we do need to raise this above and just say this is overall welfare and well being of the industry. And to, to get to that place, we need to set some standards across the industry as well. We need the industry to, to work united across this piece and not see welfare and well being as a brand or as a unique selling point of your company. It's about a basic standard. A basic humanitarian standard for all of our workforce. We should set a standard in there to which nobody can fall below, or no no site can fall below.
0: In terms of well-being and welfare, then, and, and the idea of looking at this as this holistic issue, has the industry got its head around around that?
3: I, I think they have. I, I think uh, the industry is is definitely seeing this as a, a, a major challenge to to resolve. And many of the companies that we're working with have got the most amazing well being programs. But it's, but sometimes there could be short sightedness in that as well, because in the sense of, oh yeah, all, all our employees are fine. Okay. Yeah, but um, you know, how many employees you've got? Oh, we've got five thousand employees and are, you know, we've got a great EAP and employee assistance program, a great welfare program. Yeah, but well, hold on, how many how many people are coming on your sites? Ah oh, we've got 60,000 people coming on our sites. And you go, so what are you do about them? The people, the other people coming on sites, then the penny drops and goes, ah, I see where you're coming from now. And it's about how do we we get that all surround sound in a site so that everybody's looked after? And that that's where I think some of the companies can be quite myopic, well, my people are okay. But the other statistic is that 53% of the 3.1 million people that work in construction are either self-employed, agency workers are on zero-hour contracts. So, they've got nowhere to go in their time of need or the time of crisis. And a lot of that workforce makes up the workforce that is on every site in the UK and Ireland. So, a very large proportion of these people have got nowhere to turn to. So, So, how do we say, okay, for your employees, that's fine. You've got this extra level of we're talking about the base camp and the summit they're, they're above base camp but we need to make sure that everybody that comes on site gets that i'm probably lo- losing the analogy now but get that base camp support that that safety net support to a, a safety net to which they don't fall below and that that's where we come in as a charity we, we deliver that safety net and say okay you will not fall below this but unless we get everybody to know that it's there we can't help everybody But I think the industry is doing some fantastic work in this this space, some absolutely amazing work in this space. And I think they've got it. Even in Ireland, they're trialing four day a week now in some companies. And they're seeing productivity gains by having four-day weeks because people are seeing that as well. I'm going to work more productively and manage my time better in those four days so I can have that day off with my family and take some of the pressure off the family, et cetera, being away from home. So there's lots of great things going on. Even COVID coming along as well had, you know, it was horrendous. But from the construction industry, it had a couple of good things that happened. One is the construction industry for ages saying we can't do flexible working. Uh, Guess what? When COVID came along, we cracked it. And the second thing is the hygiene factors went through the roof. What does that do? It makes it a better place for women to work as well. And we need more women in the industry. Desperately need more women in the industry. And again, I see a lot of great initiatives to try and get more women into the industry, which will make this a better place to work as well. So, I think we're, we're definitely driving down some correct initiatives and right roads. It's about how to unify it. I think is our biggest problem: is how to how to unify it and make it instead of having to, having these moments of brilliance, we turn into to that moment into a whole movement to move the industry forward. I think is is where where we really need to make the big
0: push. Where is the industry in the UK, do you think, in, in relation to, say what what, what they're doing in, in Australia? There's obviously been a lot of, I know it's early days, but there's been a lot of organisation there, there's a standard, there's a, a plan, if you like, and a framework for that collaboration piece. Are we anywhere near that in, in the UK? Is that what we need or do we need a different approach here? Um,
3: I think we're some ways off it because the the industry is so is fragmented. There's lots of things we need to do. So. I'm optimistic about what we can do. We've got some uh, a new program that we're trying to unify the industry called Make It Visible, which is trying to, to pull the industry together around reactive support, which, again, is well underway. We've launched a new portal called makeitvisible.info, which is just launched, which is a, a portal that any construction worker can go on now and find information, advice, and guidance around emotional support physical support and financial support and it gives them information, advice and guidance and also pathways to get support as well. So you've got that all in one portal. So we need to get that message out there. So that's that's reactive support. Proactive support is more difficult, like that's education. And how do we get all our black hats to be aware of of mental health issues? How what's the best tools or what's the best education so we can we can still that. How do we work with apprentices? to look at the future and the cultural change because that's even longer term change. So they make visible task is looking at those three elements, the, the reactive, the proactive and the long term cultural change.
0: What do you need from your contractor partners like Kia? What can we add? What can organisations like us add to the great initiatives and programmes and so on that, that you're developing to really help drive that impact out on site?
3: Well, obviously you know a large organization like here has a large supply chain and the supply chain you rely on to to make your projects work and for me it's getting that communication that there are you know that that whole thing about the services that are available down through those communication channels down through that supply chain to what i call the boots on the ground where the issues are the biggest um is is getting that whole element down and and what's lovely about Kia, they're working with us um, on, on an initiative as well, with make it visible on site. Where we, we have a van, <laughs> a multicolored van that's got two tradesmen in it, and we can put these guys on site. They talk through their story. They've had lived experience of mental health issues themselves. They are mental health first aiders as well. They talk through the stories. And because they are tradesmen, there's a huge empathy with the people on the ground. And we get back to that conversation, we're breaking down the stigma and raising awareness. That program does it for me every single time because it gets the people talking and it raises the awareness of the services that are available to, to everyone to, to get help and support. And if we can get that program running throughout all of the sites around, around the UK and Ireland, then I think we will make some pretty big breakthroughs.
0: The statistics that we have is, is sort of very black and white, I suppose, is the scale of, of the problem. So what do you think it will take then for all of the various industry bodies and, and so on in the UK construction industry to come together and say, right, we, we need to deal with this as a collective? What's that missing link?
3: Leadership at the end of the day, it's, it's going to take leadership from from the right areas. And and, and it's also going to come from the client. Because at the end of the day, you know, if the the clients aren't dictating in their tendering process that the the welfare of the workers that are going to be working on their projects is paramount, then it, it 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 leaves a gap between what the industry can do for itself and what the clients dictating. So, so I think apart from getting leadership and unity from the industry, and there are some great elements of uh, industry bodies that are getting behind this as well, which is really good to see. But we've got to get it from the client end as well, where the the major projects that are getting put together have actually got more descriptive ways of what they are looking for in the way of well being support for the workforces that come to work on the sites as well, rather than, you know, we want a well being programme. That's too too loose. You need some standard in here. So I think if we can get a standard that we can put to the client and then say, you know, if you're running a project, can you please put this standard in here and, and also be prepared to to pay for that level of kind of well being that comes through because you will see the benefit of it in productivity.
0: Have you got any final thoughts or messages that, that you really want to leave our listeners with in relation to this issue
3: i've got what i call my three golden nuggets that if everybody followed we wouldn't be in this problem first of all is from the samaritans a- always ask twice you often get a different answer if you ask what the second time around so are you okay are you sure you're okay and sometimes you get a different answer uh, the second time so always ask twice the first golden nugget the second one is uh, seek to understand before you seek to be understood. It's so easy when you just listen to somebody to jump down their throat and say, here's the answer to the problem. And it's also listening non-judgmentally as well. I mean, it's so difficult to do, not to put your own judgment on somebody else's problem, but just having that listening ear and giving them the time to do that. So it's about seek to understand before you seek to be understood. That's from Dr. Stephen Covey, by the way. That's uh, one of his things uh, about leadership. Uh, and the third one is from the Dalai Lama, and you'll just love this, which is always be kind. There's, there's absolutely no reason to be unkind to, to another human being, especially if you're working in the same environment with them and you're trying to do the same thing as get a project done. So, so be kind. Those are my three little golden nuggets. And if everybody followed those, they're all difficult to follow, but if everybody followed those, I think we'd have a better working environment throughout.
0: Thanks very much to all of our guests for sharing their expertise today. We'll be back next month with a new episode. But in the meantime, don't forget, you can hit subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts, or find out more at kia.co.uk forward slash